question, though, we will only really look at two new verses uh, from where we left off last Lord's Day. I felt we really need to put some things in context as we uh, gather together. And, and really, I'm posing a very simple question this morning. Are you ready for what's coming? And you can broaden that. Are the people you care about ready for what's coming? Uh, the book of Revelation can be kind of summarized with two major themes. It's all about who is coming and what is coming. And we've, uh, in our weeks together so far, we've spent an extended period of time on, on who is coming, even as we looked at the messages to the churches in uh, Revelation in chapters 2 and 3, as Jesus speaks into the church, uh, it really comes from who is speaking, and then you get that message specifically for those churches. But this morning we begin that whole section of the book of Revelation where it speaks about some of the details of what is coming, and God wants us to be ready for that. Now, there's some nuances or there's some uh, details about what is coming that that God has given us for our benefit and for his use and it really will dramatically change how we live if we put in perspective now as we think about you know something that is coming and are we ready for it all we, we we experience that drama just in everyday life don't we I mean if we, uh, some of you, I remember asking a number of people in a small group setting, are, are, do you describe yourself as a dreamer? You know, and you could even say, when do you dream? Do you, if you dream during the day, they call you a daydreamer. And if you, call your, if you dream at night, you have dreams at night. And if you have bad dreams, you have what kind of dreams? Nightmares. And, and sometimes um, people have nightmares. What they have nightmares about is they they're, they're looking forward to something happening, and then they, they wake up in the morning, and somehow in the dream they had what? Missed it. Have you ever had that dream? You know, you're like, oh, yesterday was, was my, my wife's birthday, and I forgot it, or it was our anniversary, and I forgot it, and, and all of a sudden you break out in a cold sweat, and you're thinking, that which I was looking forward to and, and planning and trying to make it special and be ready for, I, somehow I forgot it in all my busyness. And, and as you think about being ready for what comes next on God's uh, calendar, uh, that can be some of our experience, is, is we know it's coming, but we don't know exactly when it's coming. And, and so if we're not careful, uh, we could kind of feel like, if not that we miss it, because we will, we will get involved in whatever our stage of life is and our relationship with Him is, but we'll miss experiencing it in its fullness. And so as we think about being ready for what's coming, for the believer, if you understand God's prophetic timetable like I do, what's next on our agenda from God's agenda is that Jesus is coming for his church, that he's coming for those who know him and love him, and that he'll return and he'll gather up God's people and and take them into heaven. And the reason he's going to do that is because the Bible tells us in a variety of places, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, we can even get the promise in Revelation 3.10, is that God's people are not destined for wrath, God's wrath. It's not that we don't have troubles in this world until Jesus comes, but we will not be the recipient of God's judgment hand upon this land because we are his people. And we are, have escaped his wrath. Just as Noah escaped the wrath of, of God on this planet when God had him build a boat. And when that judgment of God came on, he floated on top of that. 
And just as Lot was taken out of Sodom and Gomorrah, so God's people are not destined to wrath. And even as Moses led the people out of Egypt and they got through the parting of the Red Sea and it came down on, the, on Pharaoh's army, God's people escaped. And it's not because we, we don't deserve judgment or punishment. We all do because of our sin. But our judgment has been placed on Jesus and we are not going to experience the wrath of God. And so we can be ready for what's coming next by, by simply knowing Jesus and then looking forward to his return. And it, it, it dramatically will change how we live if we're looking forward to his coming at any moment. Uh, we live in a, a, a real world that has real problems. So we have things that, that grab our heart and sometimes our throat, and we get overwhelmed sometimes by the cares of this world. But I think all of us could honestly say, have you ever had a worry or a care that, that worked out and all that time spent worrying and caring was just useless time? And, and have we ever gotten petty about certain things? Have you ever gotten an argument with someone and you go, man, that was a knockout argument. And now I look at what we were arguing about and it really wasn't that, what, important. And, and so you think in light of Jesus coming at any moment, it changes our perspective and our priorities. So God wants us ready for his soon return. And I believe the rapture of the church, there are no signs related to the rapture of the church. It could happen any moment. But there's another coming. There's a coming that we're going to look at today in a broad way in which the judgment or wrath of God will come upon this earth. And the only way to be prepared for that is to say, I don't want to go through that. I want to know Jesus and I don't want to experience the wrath of God. There is a judgment that is coming. Now, this is the reason why God wants us to, to look at what he has said. Because he wants us to not, not only uh, study God's word and particularly study prophecy for, for good reason. And then he wants us to understand what he has said about what's going to happen next. Well, wh- why should we study uh, what's coming, what's coming next? Number one is so you can be blessed. Revelation 1.3, we've read that passage before. But this is one of the unique books in the Bible which, which promises a blessing to those who read and hear it and heed it. Blessed, uh, Revelation 1-3, blessed or happy is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it for the time is near. And, and so we, we need to know what God's plan is so we're, so we're prepared for what happens next and we can live life filled with confidence that this world and this age is in God's hand. And so when we know that God's in control, then we can be much more happy or blessed than we would if we did not know that or convinced by that. Secondly, so you can see Jesus clearly in power and authority. Uh, in Revelation chapter 116, that, that, that whole chapter really speaks about describing who he is. But it says, In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his faith was like the sun shining in its strength. And so the book of Revelation gives us the picture of Jesus, not so much as the meek and mild one in the manger, but as the mighty one, majestic one that comes in all power. In Revelation chapter 19, uh, 6, it says he's coming as the king of kings and lord of lords. Now, that's dramatically different than how most people see Jesus today, particularly those who, who just look at this as some kind of a historical document of a man who lived in Palestine a couple thousand years ago. They see him as a good example. They see him as a, as a model. They see him with, 
amazing statements that came out of his mouth and they came down as uh, the things that principles that people try to live by, whether it be the golden rule or loving your neighbors yourself or even you know, turning the other cheek. But they don't see Jesus and his power and authority. And, and seeing that, that God has this world under his control brings blessedness. And then understanding that he comes in power and authority speaks to his lordship, not only in this world and the universe, but in our lives. And then you have this. Not only do we study prophecy uh, to know that we can be blessed and see Jesus more clearly, it's so that we can be filled with hope and pursue holiness. Now, hope is... uh, There there are three uh, statements in God's word that talk about how valuable certain things are. In fact, in, the, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, Now abide faith, hope, and love. And often in God's church, we talk about faith and we talk about love. But, but hope is essential. Because if, if you have no hope, then why live, right? If, if you can't be convinced that your future is a preferred future, then why continue on? But, but the Bible says that no matter what we're going through, we have a purpose here to stay as long as God wants us to stay, to be his representatives. But then as we look to the future, everything that, that God has promised for his people will happen. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I won't read the passage because of time, but in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, which is the rapture chapter, where, where God writes to, to them through the words of the Apostle Paul, he says, I, I don't want you to be ignorant. I, I don't want you to be uninformed about what's happening and they were particularly concerned about those who had already died and they were and they were fearful that somehow they were missing out on what they thought was going to happen which is jesus coming for his people and he said well don't be worried about that because when i come those who have died in christ will actually participate in it much sooner than you will they will rise up first as i come descending from the clouds in the air and then you who are alive in christ will be caught up together with them And then he said, I I want you to understand this because for two reasons. Number one, I want you, as you go through life, filled at times with despair and challenge, that you will go through that not as those who have no hope. In fact, he says this, "I, I want you, when you have loved ones that have died and gone on, I want you to grieve but not like those who have no hope. And see, that's the distinction between a person who has loved ones in Christ that have died, uh, we don't say they're lost, no, because we know where they're at. And, and really, when we understand where they're at, we don't grieve for them because they truly are in a, what kind of place? Better place. Now, we do grieve, though, but we grieve for ourselves and other loved ones because we miss them. And, and, and God is fully aware of that, and he wants us to grieve for our loss, but not for their loss. And, and so he says, have hope, and then he says, comfort one another with these words. And, and the comfort is, is that the blessed hope is that we are going to be reunited with loved ones who know Jesus. And, and that could happen instantly. It could happen before the service is over. Jesus could come again. And so we're looking for his return, return for his people. But not only should we be filled with hope, we ought to be filled with a new pursuit of holiness. 
And this is what's found, and I have in your outline this morning, 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, in which he says, Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. In other words, as we think about that, that body, the intermediate body between the body we have now and the one that we'll be uh, having on the eternal state, we don't know all the details of that. But we do know this. We know that when he appears, Jesus, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now, w- when you really long for someone that is absent to, to be present, you, you prepare for that, don't you? Let, let's say it's, it's a homecoming for, for a family member or for a friend. And if that is, you, you kind of clean up the house, you get everything ready. If there's some things that you know they like to eat, you'll prepare that kind of a meal. And, and, and as, you, as you look at your relationship, you'll say, well, you know, there were certain things about a relationship that, that made it really good, and there were some things I used to do that kind of irritated that person. I'm going to try to stop doing that. I'm going to, I'm going to try. I'm trying to make this, when I see him again, everything goes perfectly. And see, that's how it is when we think about Jesus. That, that when he returns, we want to be just like him. We want to please him. We don't want to miss out on the fullness of, of eagerly being with our Savior. So, so that's why we ought to be looking at Jesus' return, because it's so often to be, be caught up in the cares of this world, isn't it? And, and we forget those things that are petty in nature or those things that really don't matter that we get so preoccupied about and just think, if we, if we knew it was today Jesus was coming, those things wouldn't even bother us. And so, so let's be responsible for the responsibilities we have. But in the midst of that, let's look for his return. Because when we see him, our hope will be realized. And we'll be just like him. That, that's why we had to look and study what's coming and be ready for what's coming. But the question is, what's coming? What's coming? Now, I believe that Jesus is coming for his church. But when he comes for his church, then what happens next? And and why should we be aware of that? Well, one is to, again, make sure that we are part of his family because we don't want to go through that. And again, it's not the suffering per se. It's the wrath of God. It's the source of that suffering. You know, it, it's one thing if an enemy were to hurt me, you know, and you know, if someone that, that I knew for whatever reason did not like me, you know, I, I would expect that. But, you know, if you, if you get stabbed by a friend, doesn't that hurt a lot more? And when you think about a God who is holy, bringing wrath, that suffering will be unique. But what is coming? And we want to warn other people for what's coming. But as I set that up this morning, I want you to understand this. Basically, the Old Testament and the New Testament, I've, I've shared this with you before, it's all about the Old Testament promises were made, and the New Testament's promises kept. And there's still some promises made in the New Testament that still are going to be kept. But it's, it's God's plan being lived out. And if there is no plan in this, in this universe, then life really is absurd, isn't it? I mean, what's the point? You know, we're, we're born and we live a few years and then we die. We're born and we live a few years and then we die. Is, is that all there is to life? Or, or, or is there some plan from a loving God that has put things in motion that we who have rebelled against God can come to know Him and then live with Him forever. And, and, and that's the plan. And as we look at the evil that's in the world, it's not 
if God can do something about it, but it's when. And he's promised that he is going to come and judgment will happen. And so three things I want to share with you this morning about what's coming. Number one, what's coming is a time which is like no other time in the past or the future for Israel and the rest of the world. Now, the reason we know that is because right out of the words of Jesus, we have these statements in Matthew chapter 24, which is what's called the Olivet Discourse, which is his sermon on future things. And and Jesus said this in response to some questions that the the disciples asked, and they asked a question that we ask a lot. Well, when's the end of the age, and how will we know it's going to happen? How can we put this together? And we'll be seeing that in the weeks to come. But in the middle of that, he said this, then, for then there will be a great tribulation, such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. So he, he's, he's clearly delineating between a time that is to come, that is you compare it with everything else that has ever happened in the past, and it can imagine what could happen in the future, it will be worse than anything in the past or the future. Judgment is coming. The wrath of God will be poured out like no other time in all of history, past, present, or future. Now, I don't know about you, but I would want to be prepared either not to experience that, and then if I knew I wasn't going to experience that, I wouldn't want anyone I cared about to experience it either. Because there is no other time like the time that will be that has been in the past or in the future. Now that same theme is repeated a number of times in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Joel 2, verse 2. But what's unique about this period of time is to understand Israel is involved in this. Because God has made promises to Israel. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 1 through 11. And if you know where Psalms are, you you make a right, go through a few books, and you'll run into Jeremiah. Because as they were hearing this message about when will the end of the times be, they they were really thinking about, well, you know, God, you you promised that you're going to give the kingdom to Israel, and and when is this going to happen? And they thought it was going to happen almost immediately. And so they were wondering about that. And then a few years later, in 70 A.D., all of Israel gets destroyed, particularly in Jerusalem, and the temple is destroyed. And they're, they're, trying, to, they're trying to understand, when is this going to happen? Because he had talked about not one stone on this temple would be there. And, and so Jesus began to speak to them about promises made and promises kept. And, and it was in the context of all what the Old Testament had said. And what he was speaking about in Matthew 24, and then also what we see in Revelation chapter 6 through 19, is what's going to happen within this unique period of time, which is a seven-year period of time. And it's in, in line of all the promises he'd always given the people of Israel. Jeremiah chapter 30, beginning in verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write all the words which I have spoken to you in a book. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel and Judah. The Lord says, I will also bring them Back to the land, and I gave to their, their forefathers, and they shall possess it. Now these are the words which the Lord spoke concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus says the Lord, I have heard a sound of terror, of dread, and there is no peace. 
Ask now and see if a male can give birth. Why do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in childbirth? And why have all faces turned pale? So he gets, he gets illustrative there and said that this is a period of time where it's almost like a man having a child. And women, is it kind of a difficult thing to have childbirth? You know, it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of painful. But then he goes and he says, uh, verse 7, Alas, for that day is great... And it's great and such that it never was a time that was or will be. There is none like it. And it is the time of Jacob's distress. So somehow as we look about this period of time that will come in the future, a time like no other time, it'll be a time that uniquely Jacob or Israel is involved in. But he will be saved from it. And ultimately they will not be destroyed. Verse 8. It shall come about on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off their neck, and will tear off their bonds, and strangers shall no longer make them their slaves. Now, let's just ask you, you know, of, of, since almost all recorded history, but particularly since, since Jesus was here, you know, what nation or what nationality, what ethnic race has suffered more persecution than anyone you can imagine? It would be the Jewish people. I mean, Rome came in in 70 AD and destroyed uh, the land and destroyed the temple. Then you had, in 135, another onrushing of Rome, um, slaughtering Jewish people. You had the Spanish Inquisition in which people were, were um, the, the, there was the, the, the Roman Catholic Church particularly thought that their, their goal in life was to uh, obliterate the, the, the nation or the people that they thought were responsible for crucifying Jesus. You had the Crusades, the same thing as they went against the Islamic world. Uh, they thought the Jewish people, if they were to deal something with the Islamic world, that the Jewish people would come in and control all the lands of the Holy Land, and so they wiped them out as well. And then you had a thing called World War II, and there's a man named Hitler. And, and let me just say this. It's, some will look back at 70 A.D., and they think that's, that's the whole storyline of this time that will, it was never like in the past or never thing in the future. Well, Titus, when he came in, it was, it, you know, it was a fulfillment of prophecy, but it was a picture of what is to come. There was 1.1 million Jews that died when Titus came in and took over Jerusalem. But in Hitler's day, there were 6 million. 6 million. And even in our day, you have the nations surrounding Israel, and their whole desire is to obliterate that people, to wipe them off the map. But there is going to come a time when judgment will happen, but God will rescue his people. Verse 9, But you shall serve their God, but they, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David the king whom I will raise up for them. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord. And do not be dismayed, O Lord. For behold, I will save you from afar and from your offspring from the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return and shall be quiet and at ease. And no one shall uh, make him afraid. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to save you. For I will destroy completely all the nations where I have scattered you. Only I will not destroy you completely, but I will chasten you justly and will by no means leave you unpunished. And so two things will happen during this period of time. Israel will be judged again for the rebellion against the true God, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. But they will be rescued and they will be saved. They will be disciplined, but they will be rescued. And that's what's happening in the future. But the nations also will be judged as well. Turn over just a page to 30, uh, Jeremiah 31. In Jeremiah 31, we have this 
statement of the promise of God uh, to the people of Israel. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord. So we're looking at what is coming. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So specifically, again, he speaks about a promise, a covenant, a treaty that he makes with ethnic Israel. Verse 32. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the land to bring them out of the land of Egypt. And so he talks about a new covenant. He compares it with another covenant. And the leader of 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 God's people when they took him out of Egypt was a man named, beginning with the letter M, Moses. And this is called the Mosaic Covenant. And the Mosaic Covenant and the New Covenant is distinct in terms of it, its, its, its framing. Mosaic, the Mosaic Covenant, the covenant he made with Moses, what's called a conditional covenant. The, the conditional covenant was simply this. If you obey me, I will bless you. If you don't obey me, I will not bless you. But this new covenant is not like the Mosaic covenant. It is a, it's what's called an unconditional covenant. Often we in the church will talk about God's love, and we'll put a phrase before love, an adjective. We'll call it God's love unconditional, not based on what we do, but based on who he is. Well, God makes an unconditional covenant with Israel, and he says, this is what I'm going to do. Um, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, verse 32, and then verse 33. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, the amazing thing about God's plan being worked out is that when 70 A.D. happened when Titus came into Rome and dispersed the, 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 the Israeli people, the Israel people. Um, many thought at that time that Israel as a nation would never come back together. They were scattered everywhere. And somehow they did not lose their ethnic identity. I mean, even as they were in various countries. And there, there is uh, Israel Arabs as well as you know, uh, Russian Arabs. Jewish people. There's all kinds of people from a variety of nations, but um, Jewish people have maintained their their identity, and people thought this would that somehow they would never come back as a nation. But then May Fourteenth, nineteen forty eight, happened, and miracle of miracles, Israel became a nation again. But the thing we don't have now is they're back as a nation, but spiritually they're still far from God, and so this unique part of of the national covenant to Israel has still not come to pass yet. Uh, Verse 34, They shall not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they they shall all know the Lord. And that's because when when Jesus comes again, all Israel will be saved. Romans chapter 11, and as we look in Revelation 19, declares the Lord, For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. And, And so God... Um, is talking about a promise that will be completely fulfilled in the future, though we have the blessings of it now. Verse 35. And here's the unique thing about, again, how Israel is still distinct. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order... Departs from before me, declares the Lord. Then the offspring of Israel also will cease from being a nation before me forever. Now, 
That's pretty colorful language to say this. Now, many, even within the Christian world, think there is no significance to Israel at all. And they think this is just some kind of blip in history. And as we look at the promise of God, many people think that, that Israel got morphed into the church. There is, there, is, there is no distinction between Israel and the church. And, I, and, and I, as, as I hear that, and I love people who, who have that view, what I don't understand is how, how do they go to a passage like this where God says, okay, look up in the, at the sun and look at the mon, moon and look at how the, the waves move around. Now, if that all stops, okay, then, then Israel will no longer be a nation forever. Now, is the sun still working out there? Is the moon still working out there? Do the waves still move in the oceans? And so since the natural things of this, this universe have still maintained, God says, until that stops, I want you to know the nation of Israel will be maintained forever. doesn't mean they're not going to be dispersed. doesn't mean that they're, they're still not far from me, but there's coming a time, and it's going to be a time in which there's a time like no other time in which the wrath of God will be displaced here on earth. It will make a, a major impact on the people of Israel who are still living today, as well as all the nations of the world. And there will come a point where all Israel will be saved, where I'll put God's message on their hearts. So, where are we at? Number one, what's coming? There's coming a time like no other time that has been or will be, and it will involve Israel as well as the rest of the world. Secondly, this will be a time in which the, 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 there will be a fulfillment of the 70th week of Daniel. We looked at that a number of weeks back. Let me just make some simple observations. Turn your Bibles on Daniel chapter 9. If you found Jeremiah, just hang it right and you'll run into it. In Daniel chapter 9, a rather complicated passage, but I'm just going to try to hit the highlights for you, in which God says, let me give you a timetable about how this is going to happen. And, and in Daniel's time... They were still looking not for Jesus' second coming, but for his what? His first coming. In fact, they thought the first coming was going to be the coming complete. And that's why they kept thinking that Jesus, when he was here, was not only going to try to change people's hearts, but he was going to change all the world. That did not happen. And if they had understood Daniel chapter 9, they would have got a glimpse that it wasn't going to happen that way. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people. And he's talking to Daniel, and his people were who? Israel, and your holy city, and that city was what city? Jerusalem. To finish that transgression, to make an end of sin, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Six things that he said, this is going to happen after 70 weeks. He's not, and in a week, there are seven, if you have a normal week, it's seven days. He's not talking about days here. He's talking about years. So he's talking about 70 weeks of years, which would be 490 years. And at the end of all these 490 years, or 70 weeks, six things have to happen. Now, as you look at that list, we, we know they haven't all happened. Are we living in a time of everlasting righteousness? Is everything righteous in this world today? Obviously not. So this hasn't been completed. And, and so he gives a little bit more detail, verse 25. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, and that was a specific time, and, and during Daniel's kind of timetable, where that happens, around 445 B.C., he said, um, that'll start this clock of 70 weeks. And, and he says, and Messiah, the prince, will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. 
Now let's work on some math a little bit. 7 plus 62 equals 69, right? So I'm going to give you 69 out of the 70 weeks. And he said, when those 69 weeks are over, I'm going to let you know, and it starts at 445 B.C., um, then something's going to happen. He says, uh, says, the Messiah, until Messiah the Prince, there will be this period of time. So what's supposed to happen in verse 25 is that Messiah, and who's the Messiah? Jesus. Jesus is going to arrive on the scene. Well, if you take it from 445 B.C., and I'm not going to throw up on the board here as far as on, on the screen how this all works out, but it all works out to the day in which Jesus arrives in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry of Jesus. So 483 years, which is 69 weeks of, of seven years, gives you 483 years. So 69 out of 70 weeks have happened because Jesus arrives on the scene. The Messiah will come. And you say, well, okay, what, what happened the last week? Well, let's move, read on. Verse 26. Then after the 62 weeks, and implied of that is the 62 weeks plus the 7. Then after the 69 weeks, and then, Messiah, then it says after, it says after the Messiah comes, Palm Sunday, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. Now, nothing means, you know, the kingdom will not be set up and, and that which they had expected will not happen like they had imagined in terms of God's final plan coming to pass. Now, the Messiah, was the Messiah, was Jesus crucified before Palm Sunday or after Palm Sunday? After. So after those 483 years, Jesus is cut off or crucified. And then it goes on this, And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And you think, okay, the next thing that happens, Jesus will die after the 69 weeks. And then it says after that, something else will happen. The city and the sanctuary will be leveled. And when did that happen? That happened in 70 AD when Titus came in and he destroyed the temple and killed 1.1 million Jewish people um, in terms of looking at it from an historical perspective. So that's happened afterwards. And that happened 40 years after Jesus went to the cross. And, and, and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be uh, war and desolations are determined. Now, what we have here is you had the 69 week, and then something happened after the week, and, and we still haven't heard anything about the 70th week. And that's why there's a gap between the 69th week and the 70th week. We know what happens after the 69th week. Those things happen, and they did not happen within a seven-year period of time, Right? Jesus dying, and then 70 A.D., the city was devastated. That happened 40 years afterwards. So there's still something that has to start or happen. And that's what we get in verse 27. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for how long? One week or seven years. So now he jumps to the 70th week. And who is the he? The he refers back to the prince of the people. And here's where we surmise that the one who was to come, the Antichrist, is from the, the people who, who devastated Jerusalem in 70 AD, which is Rome. And so somehow within the revived Roman Empire, there's going to one arise during this week and will make an agreement with the people of Israel, a firm covenant for seven years. But he doesn't, he isn't like God where he makes promises and always keeps them. It says then, but in the middle of that week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. 
So this peace treaty he makes with Israel will be stopped halfway through that last seven-year period of time, and he will break his promises to God's ethnic people. And then it goes on and says, And on the wing of abomination, which is probably what's called the abomination of desolation, as he sets himself up to be worshipped in the temple of God, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, the Antichrist makes a waste, but even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out on the one, the Antichrist, who makes desolate. So the one who destroys things in this world will then be destroyed by the hand of God. Now that's a mouthful, but it's simply to say this. As we look about what is coming, number one, what is coming is a time that will be like, any, like no other time in the past or the future. It's a time of judgment to Israel and the nations of this world. Number two, this is a time in which it will be fulfillment of God's prophecy to Daniel. And this will be the 70th or last week in the prophecy. A prophecy in which some will arise, make a treaty with Israel, and then break it. And then there will be desolation. Now, let me just ask you this. If someone were to, to arise in our world today and somehow could settle the problems in the Middle East, would that person be looked to as a world leader and someone you'd want to follow? I mean, it just naturally, that would be that way. I mean, most of you, this, well, we could almost say all of us, almost all of us here. You know, we look back at some of the world wars in history. And it just... In, in, you know, World War I was supposed to be the war, the, the war that would end all war, wars, and then World War II happened, right? And, and, and just horrific things. And then, then after World War II, we had the Cold War. And, and then there was the period of time where, you know, the, the, greatest, the greatest fear of us was communism. What, what would happen from communism? And, and all those were real threats and real dangers. But isn't there something eerie about terrorism now? I mean, it... it you don't know where the enemy is. It could be anywhere and everywhere. And so it's, it's not just the problem in the Middle East. It's, it's what's happening. In, it's overcoming countries throughout the world now where people, they're, 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 they're afraid of, of what might happen. And when someone could arise and somehow solve all the fears of this land, then they'd be looked to as a leader that they'd want to follow. And that is going to happen. Which leads to the last and simplest point I want to make this, this morning. What's coming? A time like no other time. A time in which we'll fulfill the prophecies of Daniel 70, 70 weeks. And then to begin this whole process, there'll be a time, in, this is what's coming. The judgment and wrath of God against sin will begin as God allows a false Christ to offer a false peace. Now, maybe let's read two verses or four verses, and then we'll close. Jesus, as, as he began, began his commentary on what was going to happen next in terms of the coming at the end of the age, he said this to his disciples. Tell us when will these things happen? This is the question they asked him. And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ." And will mislead many. And this parallels what John records for us at the, at the beginning of describing the time that is to come that would be like no other time in the past or the future, in, in which he has just spoken about the one and the only one who's able to break through the scroll with the seven seals that would unleash 
the details about the judgments of God that will come upon this earth. And it'll, it'll, the judgments that will come upon this earth, which, which comes from the, the, the hand of God, allowing um, evil to prosper for a while. And he describes it this way as it begins. Then I saw when the Lamb, Revelation 6, 1 and 2, broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a loud voice of thunder, Come, and I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. And, and what, this, what this describes is, is this the spirit of, of deception that will happen. When, when a ruler arises, and he's able to deceive people by saying, I can solve the terrorist war, not with another conflict, but with peace. People will run to that. And he'll begin to conquer all the world's problems. And he will look like a person who is on a white horse. Now, when a person rides a white horse in a, in a good old western, what kind of a guy is he? He's a, he's a good guy, right? He wears a white hat. You know, he has, has a friend named Tonto. No, anyway. He, you know, he has a white horse and a white hat. And, and what's interesting here, he, he describes him this way. He says he, he's, got, he's got weapons. He has a bow. But what's interesting, he has no arrows, which means he's going to conquer peaceably to begin with. And it speaks exactly what, what Daniel said. He, he's going to make an agreement, a peace treaty in Israel. Somehow he's going to solve that conflict and and people will be in agreement about what's happening in the Middle East. But it will only be the beginning of birth pains of the judgment of God to come. And, and so as we begin to hear the details of what's going to happen, the, the challenge for us is that, is that we need to be ready. And we need to be prepared to help other people be ready. Either for Jesus soon immediate return for his people or, or what happens next, which is judgment on this land so that people will be ready for the one who is not only filled with grace and love and mercy, but holiness and justice and wrath. Let's pray.